Hello, welcome to Just for Farmers. One more time, I'm with Paul the Legend Harris, and our guest interview today is with Jules Morgan. Before we say hello to Jules, Paul, how are you doing today? Absolutely splendid. Thank you. Any better when I'd burst? Tickety and boo. <laughs> um, Jules is a fascinating guy. I'm going to let you tell. I'm going to let him tell you more about who he is and how he's got to be doing what he's doing today, which is fascinating. But uh, in, in the spirit of honesty, I've known Jules a very long time, and I call him a friend first and an associate second. We met at a, a, a boxing match that was raising money for charity. Neither of us were a fan of boxing, so we went to the bar, became firm friends. I ended up being his best man. That was one of the worst decisions he's ever made. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we've become firm friends ever since. I won't say too much other than to say Jules will not probably tell you his CV. So I'm only going to tell you a fraction of it. Serial entrepreneur in the engineering industry, world-renowned marine design engineer. More patents and trademarks next to his name than you can shake a stick at. I think it, please correct me if I'm wrong, Jules, 12 times world powerboat racing champion, twice world record holder. Um, combined, it's six. It's six. Six? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just over-egged the pudding a bit there. Um <laughs> And only six only, only six slacker <laughs> and we we but the reason we're fascinated in having a chat with you today for farmers is because not only have you got some farming background yourself as a child but but also you're quite an expert when it comes to innovation and sustainability so Jules give us a sort of a three minute potted history as to how you've got to what you're doing today and what are you doing today oh you forgot to mention Queen's Ward I was going to let you slip that one out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I was brought up in a rural area in uh, East Sussex. It's primarily farming, very little industry there. Uh, completely failed at school. Uh, my first job was packing potatoes and helping um, a dairy farmer friend of mine or his father or his family uh, milk. So I got to see how hard farming farming was. Um, you know, I jokingly say to people that um, I, I packed so many potatoes, I can look at a potato and tell you the weight, tell you the variety, and from the mud, probably tell you where it's been grown. But, wow. um, well, I can't actually, but... Uh, <laughs> it's a good story. It is a good story. But the point is, is that that's where I started off. Yeah, I failed everything at school I was I, I just wasn't interested at school and then I got an engineering apprenticeship to believe it or not manufacture and design um rock and soil instruments so we were developing instruments for measuring the health of soil right. yeah, back in the 19 late 1970s okay. yeah so um so did um did projects like the Thames Barrier to Norwick but what happened is at um when I was on the shop floor I went day and night release to college and all of a sudden everything suddenly made sense and I realized that what I was learning or being taught were tools that I could use just like a micrometer or file or a drill or a hammer yeah yeah and that was it. I'd never looked back. Ended up um, working for Phillips Research Laboratories. Um, or I was sponsored to go to university by Phillips Research Laboratories. And I was dealing in technology that some people haven't even seen yet. You know, the, the 
claim to fame for Phillips Research Laboratories was a patent a day for 20 years. Yeah. So I saw the first CD burnt. One of my projects was making um, linear accelerator tubes for cancer therapy machines more accurate. I then won a scholarship, a National Science Foundation scholarship, to go to Rhode Island and MIT Robotics Research um, Department. Um, yeah. So the one thing that I learned was that robots are very limited and uh, artificial intelligence, I wouldn't even call it intelligence. Yeah, it's just rules-based decision-making. There's no intelligence there. There is, there is no ability to abstract it's it's a long way so what i learned there was a lot of technology and phillips research a lot of technology and ideas are oversold yeah so what you know i would point out where's my self-driving car you promised it to me in 2022 yeah and things take longer than you realize and the technology may work but the environmental conditions may not yeah and i'll go on to explain that in some of the yeah and i think the... i think far farmers will be absolutely nodding at that as well yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and it's so <laughs> applicable to farming you know i wrote uh, a paper for um the cop 26 uh sustainability book and i talk about political and what I call academic research expediency yeah sometimes you have a situation that the old ways are the best ways yeah but you won't get research for it because it's not what I call fidget spinners and loom bands and it's not shiny and it's not new when in fact in many instances when I look at a lot of technology the question I ask is uh, can we do it yeah should we do it and it's that last question that people don't ask, should we do it? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to shoehorn new ideas and new technology based around research funding, um, which is primarily going to go to the, the, the new shiny things rather than going back and seeing if we can optimize the way that we used to do it, yeah? And so, Anyway, I, I left uh, I, I, I left um, Apple and uh, PRTM and I set up on my own. And that's when you you met me, Dave. And yeah. um, I went from basically a job that people would die for um, back it back onto the shop for wearing a boiler suit suit um, and the first thing my business did I started off with I think it was 800 square feet and I was cleaning up castings from the local casting industry why did you do that Jules what was what was that because that maybe you've been perceived as a backward step what made what was the motivation the the motivation was was that um I was working for a company I can't name them and I was asked to falsify something right and um it was to do with some of the characters in the Guinness scandal. Do you remember the Guinness scandal? I do, yeah, yeah. And I just, I just flat point refused. I just said, I can't do that. So this information was going off to the city. It was going off to the bank. Um, and I just said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't do that. It, it's just, you know, mm -hmm. it's just not right. 
So I engineered a situation that I got made redundant. Now, considering I had actually written when I came into the company, my own employment contract, it was a fairly, <laughs> <laughs> so I had the BMW for six months. I had uh, half a year's salary. And, and sometimes when you set up a business, I, I say to people that you don't choose when you set up the business, mm -hmm. the business chooses you. Yeah. And you will know when the time is right. Yeah. Be true with my own business, that is, Jules. Is that oh, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly the case. Yeah. And you just go, okay, well, I've got to give it a go. Yeah. Mm. Um, as it happens, um, because my knowledge and expertise was so specific, um, the consultancy that I used to work for whilst I was running, trying to set up and grow my business, um, they kept on giving me contracts mm. and so went into scion went into apple again went into bae went into a new numerous companies basically on a firefighting basis so i would be um called in and i'd have to sort things out pretty quickly when things were going wrong and, and what sort of things were you asked to sort out uh, one of them was upping the ammunition output for um, the second Gulf War. Oh, wow. So I did that at three sites and we we managed to do that, but I'd never seen anything like it. Um, under investment was just um, astonishing. Uh, Scion, they had um, a problem with um, one particular feature on their products breaking. And I think it was, uh, they had, quarter of a billion pounds worth this is a good while ago now a quarter of a billion pounds worth of uh warranty claims and i had to go in and figure out what on earth was going on and um to be perfectly honest it all came down to one hole diameter and that was it yeah. and when i asked how, how are you measuring this coming you know the parts made by subcontract how are you measuring it the head of quality pulled out a paperclip and put the paperclip in the hole. And he said, if that fits in, it's okay. And by uh, such then, margins, fortunes are lost and made. Yeah. yeah. And I just said, I wouldn't mind so much if it was a calibrated paperclip. Mm. I said, what, happen <laughs> what happens if you lose that paperclip? <laughs> and he said, well, I've got a box of a thousand here. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like... Um, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> and so where you see the, the, the story behind that is where you see big, big problems, they are generally caused by something really simple. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we don't stop to think about the obvious simple things, you know, but, and I saw this in, in a lot of tech companies, they loved problems because it gave them something to do it was it, it solving problems was in their dna yeah mm -hmm. yeah but solving problems that holds up production yeah you need to get rid of that problem once and for all and and it, it's a cultural thing that you've got to keep on reinventing reinventing rather than basically saying no no this is optimized we know this works yeah and then moving on from there and so um that was um a really 
big lesson that I brought into my business. So I design and manufacture products, as you know, Dave, um, yeah. that we sell all over the world that just don't go wrong. They just don't go wrong because I've designed out any any failure. And, and I think it's fair to say, Jules, from what little I understand of your business operations, mm. is that what, what you've specialised in is is not actually going looking for a problem you people have come to you with a problem and you are solving it yeah yeah I mean, I, 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 the waterless pump for example yeah well it's not a waterless pump otherwise it wouldn't be a pump but um <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, sorry yeah. It, ignorance, it, but... the run dry pump you mean the run dry pump yeah. yeah yeah so it doesn't fail if it runs dry we won a design award for that an international design award well we won three international design awards and uh they basically um, asked me to stop entering, um, which is a bit annoying because my best innovations were the ones that followed after those, you know. <laughs> um, but there you go. I tend to stop at three. So, you know, world records, I tend to stop. Um, and when I with the six, it's year one and year two. So I had three records and I broke them. So that's still six records. Um, and I tend to stop at three. So I can see how this has fostered a desire for innovation and design within you but let, let's let's sort of turn the focus on to our, our our listeners and observers today let's talk about um sustainability yeah in in potentially farming so mm -hmm. so what what is your definition of sustainability in today's world right okay i think you 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 have to turn all of these buzzwords on their head yeah um and what we there's a hierarchy yeah so sustainability for what what are we trying to sustain that got me interested in why things happened so sustainability yeah it depends which direction you come from so for me farming and sustainability in farming its purpose is to sustain us as human beings. Yeah. And a lot of people seem to neglect that without a person putting a seed in the ground, yeah, there is no civilization. It won't, it doesn't exist. There is no ability to sustain the human population. It doesn't exist. So when you take everything right back to base principles, sustainability of food production, yeah, sustains the human population. And without that, you have nothing. You don't have tech. You don't have the arts. You don't have literature because we have to be able to sustain ourselves to be able to have the free time to consequently develop all of these other cultural aspects, yeah? And I am not wrong on that. I am absolutely right, yeah? I was really interested in something you said earlier on, just to link it back to sustainability, particularly in farming. You talked about how often, from a technology perspective, we, we're always looking for new innovations, new, I think you referred to it as the sort of the, the sexy stuff, you know, the exciting new technologies. Oh, yeah, the shiny but actually, Yeah, but actually, 
uh, but you also you also said that um actually looking at how we've done things before and maybe building on that yeah is is, is also important so how does that link in with sustainability you know i'm thinking of this you know we're always looking at are the new ways to produce food or should we actually be looking at some of the ways we've always produced food and build some of that into our sustainability plans as well yeah um in my uh, presentations, I, I have this thing called Earth Gain, and there are nine Earth Gain principles. Yeah. And um, what they are is uh, a series, it's a doctrine, and there are a series of protocols. And as you work through these, yeah, all of a sudden it tells you what you are really doing. Yeah. I'm not make, getting you to make the decision. You're doing it by running through these protocols. And this has gained popular, a, a kind of a popular acceptance. So, um, for example, one of them would be um, uh, recyclability. Yeah. One of them might be um, no, no organic chemicals, no Vox. Yeah. One of them might be um, the ability to recycle farming. It should be ring fenced. It needs to be protected because farming is evolution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And farming evolves. So if you look at our natural landscape, that's been shaped by farmers for 2000 years. Mm. You, you can't. For, for something that's so important that sustains us as human beings, yeah, you've got to be very careful in any changes that you make to food production and what um, what sustains us to be able to do all those things that we need to do, yeah. So if you look at some of the things that they're talking about in um, farming sustainability, yeah, they're talking about crop rotation. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not new. I learned about that at school. You come to Warwickshire and you can see the, you know, the shape of the um, the fields where they're undulating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that would have been the three crop rotation. Yeah. So we, farmers do not have an interest in destroying effectively their own machinery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't go and take a hammer to one of my quarter of a million pound CNC machines because, you know, so you are not, I work on the base principle that you are not going to destroy the overall environment. Yeah, because it's been shaped for the last 2000 years. Yeah. And trying to um, revolutionize farming yeah over a short period of time against commercial academic and political expediency for my um measure is a dangerous thing to do you have to use you have to let the farmers evolve over a period of time yeah and you have to provide them with the tools and the resource to be able to ensure that people like me can buy food at a sensible cost and is, and is sustainable. And my fear is... Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Jules. You, you talk about innovation as well, I think, a lot, don't yeah. you? Well, so where does 
innovation and sustainability come together because again agriculture across all the spectrums the levels of innovation particularly in machinery and science is is incredible but where does how do you see as bedfellows innovation and sustainability coming together right well for for example let's uh let's look at um machinery yeah, yeah. take it from an engineering perspective which i'll is take it from an engineering yeah. point of view yeah. um engineering increases productivity mm -hmm. yeah so more um more horsepower yeah more plowed fields mm -hmm. from one person so we're talking about the productivity of a person and we're talking about the yields now these are principles that we use in manufacturing yeah mm -hmm. i know that people are using drones to inspect well that's that that's fine okay so there's that level of innovation but for example i work in the marine industry and i belong to something called the next generation it's leading experts trying to figure out how we electrify vessels yeah ships so if we wanted to fully electrify a hundred thousand ton ship from internal combustion engine yeah or um nuclear in some instances to electric that vessel would need to become two million tons it's what we call 20x yeah now let's take that principle yeah and so and if you took that two million ton electric driven ship into um into Portsmouth Har Harbour there isn't enough electricity to charge it yeah but the mantra is is that we have to go electrification now what we're not doing is we're not we're not talking about the how so i've been working with this group for 10 years going how do we do that so you know let's say for example um a government edict comes out that all combine harvesters have to be electrified mm -hmm. that's what i was just thinking actually good example yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you something for nothing. It ain't happening. One, because of the duty cycle, combines, you know, I see them where I live. They're, mm -hmm. they're working 24-7. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. an asset. You've got to sweat it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two, the way to be able to achieve the same duty cycle. Yeah. You um, are going to have to make the thing so heavy it's going to sink into the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so there's all these basic things, but everybody chases electrification. So, for example, if I wanted to make farming sustainable, I would ring fence the machinery, the technology, and basically say, right, we might want to electrify passenger cars. Um, agricultural equipment has to be ring fenced. It's yeah. interesting, uh, again, Jules, because I think about some of the equipment we've got in, in agriculture and where technology can really help in terms of yields, efficiency, is in accuracy. So GPS systems and yeah, things like that I, absolutely I help. But yeah. I think I, I was interested in this, you know, we have to keep innovating, we have to keep innovating. And sometimes innovation could take us backwards in in other areas, as you say, suddenly saying, well, we don't want to have uh, diesel fueled uh equipment in agriculture because it's got to be electrified that could make the soil worse because you suddenly got heavy machinery on the soil so it's how do we get the balance i suppose and your background in terms of marine um, technology how do you get the balance between innovation which is almost constant people wanting to constantly innovate 
with this sustainability piece of yes, but there has to be a balance with sustainability. I almost feel like the innovation wants to drive us forward and sometimes sustainability needs to hold us back. So how do we get that balance right in your experience, Jules? Um, I've been developing products since I was um, at the beginning of my career. And um, interventions of ideas very rarely work the market will decide right so the farmer will yeah. decide yeah mm. um and so i i develop a product every month and i have a general rule yeah if i don't like it it's going to sell really well <laughs> if i design something that i like nobody wants it yeah <laughs> and why is that what's where's that come from because the tendency is is to over specify it and um the design becomes um the obsession rather yeah. than the function yeah, yeah and the cost of ownership yeah? yeah so that's the balance isn't it yeah and it's very very it's very tricky but you, you can imagine out there we have green activists we have politicians listening to the green activists we have research establishments that get funding on new shiny stuff yeah mm. and generally if you want a product or a new innovation to succeed you go and ask people that are listening to this podcast mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i i attended the rishi sunak um liz truss hustings at uh, the nec yeah just to see what was being said um uh, but on the way in, I got accosted by Insulate Britain people. And this young lady, um, if I'm allowed to say that nowadays, uh, this young person, I should say, um, thrust a, a, um, a leaflet into my hand and said, you know, we need to insulate Britain. I said, I completely agree with you. And she looked shocked. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Are we, are we supposed no. to? no <laughs> and i said i completely agree with you but um how do we do it how do we do it yeah exactly and she just looked at me in shock and she said well we insulate with um with foam i said right okay um i said one of your um objectives is to stop oil and gas and fossil fuels i said now if we use foam it's polyurethane foam Mm -hmm. yeah the giveaway's in the name Thane <laughs> I said it's made from gas mm -hmm. so how are we going to insulate all these houses and we suddenly get this great big CO2 spike yeah we're mining more and more material just to insulate over the short period of time to stop the world burning up in five years which was 12 years uh which well, who knows where that's going to go yeah and she said oh well there's other forms I said right okay we could use rock wool i said do you have any idea how rock wool is made mm. i said no i said well it's made of coal and slag and yeah i said basically it's molten stone and you have to heat it to 3500 degrees c and blow cold air across it to make the fibers yeah i said that was actually discovered by a volcanologist who could see it was in the lava field and saw all this and i said so how much energy does it require and where, where are you going to get the resource to do it because you need this slag and you know 
and she just i said that's not very sustainable is it and i said and if we try and insulate all the houses we're going to get this massive spike make things worse oh okay well they can use blocks <laughs> i said right okay you're, i said you're talking about the cinder blocks i said do you know how those are made so well, no and i said well <laughs> basically it's cement which is not good <laughs> yeah and then it's packed out with something called fly ash do you know where fly ash comes from I said no i said it comes from coal-fired power stations <clears throat> i said so we've gone through the three main areas of insulation types what else do you suggest oh well we could use wool i said yeah i, I guess you could um I said, if you calculated uh, how much how, wool, how much wool would you need? Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of sheep. <laughs> I said, have you calculated how many sheep we would need? And it's like, oh, and I said, and what about sheep farts destroying the? And oh, yeah, how yeah. much land is it going to take? And uh, what happens when you stuff it in the cavity walls? And um, some enterprising insect or microorganism yeah. decides that it's going to eat the wool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, look, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But it's when we ask the how. Yeah, it's really it's interesting. Suddenly, and everything has a cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I've had a conversation with you about this before, Jules, where the world is pushing for an instant solution and there's no there's no instant solution no period of development and no no solid research being done and in, in, your, in your view is that because of the and this is a leading question i've just realized i'm about to ask you but yeah i sense some of that that david's just said is political it's there's a political drive to appear to be even the cop summits you know to be the politicians to be seen to be doing something so a soundbite like we won't have any petrol cars by whatever the date was we're all going to have electric electrification electric cars knowing that and even i know that where how are the batteries going to be made what are the what happens to the batteries when the cars are finished it's almost as if some of that doesn't get discussed so the true None of it gets discussed yeah true yeah. element and particularly with our farmers they get hammered if they're dairy farmers, you know, beef and, and 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 dairy farming is the absolute scourge of the of the world. It's producing all this carbon, and it just all seems so sound bitey to me. Anyway, it's, it's it interesting is. in your view on it, it is. You know, where is yeah. it coming from? Is it political? Is it social? Where where it's, is it? It's, a, num it's a number of things. It it is. Um, if you read my COP twenty six paper that I did with uh, Birmingham City University and Beverly Nielsen, yeah. I talk about political, academic, and commercial expediency. Yeah. yeah. So you have academics researching into a very narrow field and trying to tie it to government funding. Yeah. So there is a political agenda. And then you have corporates that are trying to jump on making and manufacturing the new shiny things yeah and i see this all the time and what i'll give you an example i'm just going to use my wife's pad here i'm going to try and draw something i don't know if you can see this yes we can yeah, yeah. that's good yeah right every product or serve follow, follows what we call a product life cycle curve 
yeah and it basically goes over time and down yeah, and down yeah yeah and what will happen as you can see here that's the product life cycle curve now the second product life cycle curve comes in yeah, yeah. and you get an intersection where the old product drops away mm -hmm. yeah and the new one takes over and you can see that in phones computers yeah taking a photograph used to be film yeah. then it was a digital camera and yeah. now it's on your phone yeah yeah um music vinyl oh come on i track <laughs> yeah vinyl. <laughs> um, vinyl eight track dave yeah um com compact compact design yeah. developed by philips mm -hmm. uh, laser disc 12 inch developed by philips yeah cd yeah developed by philips uh mp4 mm. i don't know if philips has developed that one and now um you have the evolution to just download onto onto anything so they've all followed product life cycle curves yeah with that one none of them threaten the existence of our humanity because we can't eat yeah so it's okay for, to push for that farming i would say is a very different thing yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so basically if you can see that yeah this 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 is time mm -hmm. yeah and this is the market size okay and then we have a third product life cycle curve mm -hmm. yeah? and you have your intersection point yeah now what we are doing for one reason or another just just pause there a second jules for those that might be just listening on audio and not yeah. seeing the picture that jules has uh, drawn effectively it's a graph with what looks like a mountain like a, a soft hill. mountain yeah, yeah and, and, and the mountains mountain intersect so you imagine a mountain range of mountains that intersect that's the picture that jules is drawing uh looking across the horizon and there's certain intersection points when the one mountain curve is is dropping down and the next one is coming up just to help those that are listening listening in yeah so right i'm going to show you this now okay that is the first product life cycle curve let's call yep. that internal combustion engine yeah there should be a product life cycle curve here in the second mm -hmm. mountain yeah and there's not yep. there's a big gap there's a that gap should be, exactly. that should be hybrid right between the two yeah but we've jumped to internal combustion engines interesting yeah that in product development that valley is what we call the valley of death we've right. jumped to product life cycle curve so taking things what you do like, is you, you sorry destabilize both markets you yeah, destabilize yeah. the internal combustion yeah, yeah. The improvement there and you also destabilize the um electric yeah. car market which should be following a lot later and the problem is is that we have technologists and i'm a technologist mm -hmm. saying the technology and the science will catch up well i've got news for you it ain't going to yeah not that quickly no not yeah. that quickly it will over time but it isn't so we have to decide between the time that that um technology cuts in and becomes totally usable and meets all the duty cycles yeah and figure out if it is threatening our sustainability in food production up until that point 
I think this is brilliant, Jules, because when I think of the farmers again who are coming under so much pressure from what they put into the soil or what they put onto the soil, whether that's livestock or it's crops, and there's this constant feeling of they've got to change really quickly, as opposed to that, that that journey of I think the hybrid engine being a really good metaphor that, you know, I had a previous hybrid car, I really liked it because it would self-charge. It didn't require the same sort of battery size that a total electrification car does. It was sort of that in between. And yet mm. there's this drive. We must push on, push on, push on towards total electrification. So I think in farming, the sustainability message is without sounding too simplistic about it don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. don't say we've got to stop doing all the things that we're doing mm. it's not like suddenly saying we can't have any cattle anywhere because mm. they don't understand what the cattle bring to the soil so right. how do we how do we get to that place where we address that valley of death almost and we get in particularly in agriculture in your view um where we can do this what is it a gentle move across or a sustain because yeah. that to me then is sustainability isn't it you what's you the bridge yeah that's a good question how do we bridge it how do we bridge that gap the market will decide yeah it's market driven it's market driven yeah um the i was at michael goes environmental bill reading in 2015 mm -hmm. uh, and i was surrounded by lots of well-meaning people i know where you're going with this <laughs> yeah. go on go on and all obviously chasing a lot of think tanks there a lot of them chasing um research funding mm. okay and i said to them i'm investing in horses because <laughs> if we carry on this way that's where we're going to be mm. and everybody had a laugh i said no 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 i've just come from marylebone down to the qe center just outside westminster and it's about a mile and a half journey mm. i said I averaged seven miles an hour on that journey in an electrified uh, or semi-electric uh, Coventry built taxi. Tax, taxi. Mm. Yeah. I said, that is the same operational profile as a 19th century horse-drawn hackney carriage. I said, and that's why these taxis are called hackney carriages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said, now what you have to figure is at what point does it become economically um, driven that using horses is cheaper? Mm. At what point? Yeah. And everybody had a lot. Oh, yeah, but the technology will catch up. I said, it might, it might not. Um, and then... Um, basically um somebody said to me said yes but automation and technology will will win i said no it won't not every time but every single time yeah, yeah. now i could i could almost envisage going back to your combine harvester example of it's electrify these huge machines the sort of the, the sort of the the aha moment of realizing actually you know what we'd be better off with a couple of horses and a and a, and a plow <laughs> back in the fields almost and is that what happens do we sort of often go well full circle goes around in circles yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well there, there is a large movement now of farmers who are not plowing fields mm. they're just drilling different crops over each other to prevent weed aging and and they're you know they've grown massively mm -hmm. so and, and to use your music analogy earlier jules you know we're going back to vinyl again now and <laughs> 
So yeah. there's something about it, isn't there? You know, the record sleeve and the process of putting the needle on and cleaning the vinyl. And my 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 girls are 13 and nine and they've discovered this and it's just they love it, you know. So um, but when the technology you get this, oh West, yes, but the technology is gonna win. I said, Well, 10 years ago, you could go to any petrol station, most certainly in the Midlands, yeah. And you'd be able to go through an automatic car wash. Yeah, I said, I go to those same petrol stations today and they don't exist. They've driven them out. Now it's got the automation. You can use it 24-7 potentially. Yeah, it does a reasonable job. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you get uh, Eastern Europeans coming in doing hand car washes. A little bit more expensive and the product is much better. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. they do is they destabilize the automated car wash market, at which point it can't sustain sustain itself or pay for itself. Yeah, you do not you do not get That's the payback really on the asset. Really so it does happen. Yeah. So from a market, the market will drive it. I think that should hopefully give some reassurance to our um, farmers listening that who may be worried that um, whether it's uh, milk and that's going to be overtaken by uh, people uh, drinking um, oat milk or soya milk and then actually writ like when they actually understand what it takes to make a pint of soya milk and the and the carbon footprint of that versus a pint of dairy milk yeah. is, is ridiculously different and maybe eventually the public will catch up and then that's what happens, like your your car wash analogy. Mm. Interestingly, I took my car through a car wash because I was desperate because it was filthy. It was big chunks that were missed. And it was about half the price of going to my Polish friends uh, uh, and other nationalities who will wash my car, double the price. I'll go back to the people who are washing my car properly. I know they're using clean cloths. I know it's not going to get scratched. So it is almost as if innovation and sustainability, these interesting bedfellows that actually almost circulate. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to have to plug in my computer. Bear with me. That's okay. Yeah, well, in, innovation doesn't always equate to an improved impact or ROI, does it? No. So, um, just because just because Jules invents a, a new seat doesn't necessarily mean it will be. Uh, well, in Jules's case, it probably will be a better one than the one he did before. But you know, the innovation doesn't always equate to a bigger impact. I think also it can have knock-on effects. I know, again, some of the, my clients are, are dairy farming clients who are struggling to find people to come and work on their farms. Mm-hmm. Often will say, well, the answer is robotics. Let's put robots in. And they are actually a fan. The technology in, in robotics is in dairy farming is incredible. But it doesn't mean that you don't need people. You still need people to look after the animals. So sometimes we can get almost fixated that innovation yeah. is going to be the solution to our sustainability. But it isn't the only solution, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, going back to your case, in my business, yeah, there's there's automation, yeah, and then there's something called automation. Now, automation takes away jobs. Yeah. Automation, which is a Japanese invention and is a philosophy, is you use the technology in the robot to aid the person. You That's do not look at displacing the person. The person. You use it to increase productivity. Is that Kaizen? Yeah, it's more out of the same. Yeah. Not more out of less or the same out of less. Yeah. yeah. And this is where we are making a lot of mistakes. The The other thing is, is that you, you have to look at the value proposition and how we value what people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you only value a roofer 
when your roof leaks. Yeah. Mm. We will only value farmers when we don't have food. food. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, true. you know, I, I it drives my wife and my children round the twist. I go and look at the origin of all the foods, the fresh foods in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. So spring onions from Egypt. Mm. What about the carbon footprint and bringing them over? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure oh, they don't go by uh, slow truck. I bet they're, yeah. yeah. Avocados. Mm. yeah really? and yeah. so what society has to do this isn't all down to the farmers mm. this is down to society mm-hmm. and society one has to basically ensure and it's easier said than done that food is at a sensible cost a sustainable cost yeah that we eat within season that we um we try and domestically grow as much of our food as possible yeah which reduces carbon miles yes exactly yeah and the other thing is and i'm not saying this because you're farmers we have to value the farmers we have to go back to understanding that if unless you have a person that puts that seed in the ground the rest of it can yeah absolutely and 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 for us to be sustainable i i think in farming um we have to we have to revalue the value of farming yeah yeah Yeah, we have to have people we have to revalue the farmers yeah I'm the same in manufacturing. Manufacturing has been a complete car crash for the last 40 years, and we've managed to survive by being agile. Farming's the same. Now, I can't understand why all of my um, peppers and tomatoes and such like comes from Holland. Mm. Mm. It's because they have hot houses. Yeah, so, and and then you have a self-contained environmental position, and you pump CO two into the hot houses because you get better productivity, um, in terms of the growth rate of the, uh, the plants. Yeah, why are we if we are so hung up on reducing CO two and other gases? Why are we not investing? And putting money into our farmers and our agriculture and such like to be able to put these things in 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 place yeah i think i think i think you probably can't hear it right now jules but there's about maybe 500 if they're listening people cheering right now at what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> because it I, I you know our farmers right now are feeling in many ways pretty downtrodden yeah uh, as if yeah. they're the cause of the of the of the of the carbon issues we've got in the atmosphere um and what i loved about what you've said so far and i think dave's going to ask you about some specific things in a second but um what i loved about what you've said is this the how is that it's so easy for any particular body um uh, political social research body to come at it from a very narrow angle and you just said i think something really powerful let's all just step back a second slow down and ask the question so how's that actually going to work yeah. not from my own self-interest whether it's political social research or whatever but actually how is this actually going to work if we all just sat down and did that we'd come out with much better long-term 
truly sustainable right. solutions rather than a short-term social, political, economic fix. Yeah, the, th the problem we have is that there are engineers' solutions and farmers' solutions. Yes. We know how to do it. Yeah. But we have a very large body of people that are um, that have a, a very particular band of of interest. Now, the thing is, is as a farmer, as an engineer, I have to have the full spectrum. Yeah. So, for example, let's look at uh, electrifying vehicles. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not against electric vehicles. I worked on the first Tesla. The first Tesla was actually made by Lotus in Norfolk. I did all the lightweighting on it. Yeah. Wow. So I saw that what 25 years ago it was the first lotus s2 that came out that was the first tesla um and it's all about duty cycle yeah and the capability of the um what the piece of machinery can do yeah so if i lived in a city and I just did six miles a day, an electric car would be ideal. Hang on, yeah, absolutely. But I don't, yeah. Mm. Um, for example, I'm working on an electric ferry and it goes across a river and back again. Mm -hmm. Fine. But you can't use that, that same yeah, electric technology. ferry to go and do a longer journey. Mm. Yeah, because in Marine, we have very strict rules and we have to have basically um, contingency built in and obsolescence yeah so it's how you fit the technology to the the purpose for which it's intended so i'm not writing off all the technology some of it's very very good but for example that ferry if it was an internal combustion engine or a hybrid i could it's it's operating capability and scope is much larger mm. yeah so for an engineer i have to look at what i think this might be doing in the future if it's a very narrow band fine mm. yeah um of of operation that's absolutely fine but you can't take that product in or that asset and use it somewhere else so as an engineer that's trying to design around economic an economic proposition i have to ensure that its operating capability and its mission capability has a much wider a wider band and that as a metaphor is exactly how we should be looking at innovation. Combine any piece of equipment that you put mm -hmm. on your farm, you are going to need payback. You are going to need productivity. You are going to need low downtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And at this moment in time, it's what I call the, the uh, TRL technology readiness level. Mm -hmm. Could we, could we um, electrify a combine harvester? Let, let's just use a car, for example, because mm -hmm. most people can, get the head around that um is the car technology ready yes under certain circumstances so an electric car if you're driving 10 12 miles or short journeys ideal is the charging capability technology ready yeah exactly nope. no <laughs> we're near <laughs> is the grid ready nope no is the ability to extract mineral resource yeah exactly ready? no is the um is there the mineral resource no no they, it, yeah. it takes 16 much 16 years to get a mine up yeah and they shut most of them down if you look at um one of the big mining companies has just shut down a copper mine mm. uh, so so you've got to go right through the supply chain 
yeah and you've got to have all the technology readiness levels in in synchronization yeah that's the case and, and we don't have that one because a lot of this resource is global two because there might be a war it complete and we've seen what's happened during covid oh, really? and ironically i um i have spent the last 30 years ensuring that 95 percent of all my product is made within a 10 mile radius of birmingham and our factory in glasgow yep so same 10 mile radius 10 mile radius yeah very little is bought in and i was effectively laughed at I could have made a lot more money by yeah. bringing in cheap. Yeah. And then something called COVID happened and the supply chains fell. Collapsed. Yeah. Mm. Collapsed. Mm. Now, being in the marine industry, marine is primarily a global industry. Yeah. Over COVID, we doubled our turnover because we were <laughs> still open and we could still produce. So pause there. I think there's, I think Dave's going to ask you a couple of questions before we close, but almost again metaphoring that into um farming and i know it's mostly farmers that are listening but the concept of buy local get your stuff from the local area buy local, you buy reduce your carbon footprint yeah <clears throat> just buy from people who are local to you rather than the supermarkets that are transporting yeah. strawberries when when i was a kid we didn't have strawberries in the winter we had them in the summer that's when you had strawberries yeah because you bought it from the local grocers. Now we want strawberries all year round, apparently. Um, so buy local would be one of the things we can be, all be more sustainable. And Dave, what did you want to ask um, Jules just before yeah, you close? So we could speak to him for a week. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure the farmers would want it as well. But uh, Jules, there's one thing. I want to draw you back to a conversation we had a, a month or two ago. Um, because part of the sustainability push from the government into the farming industry is around being carbon neutral and more mm. efficient and sustainable. And it was making me think, as you were telling me about one of the clients that you were sent into uh, to discuss their carbon neutral building. Um, things yeah. like so I'm trying to think very pragmatically and very succinctly. Mm. If you can think from a farmer's perspective, I want to build a new barn, warehouse unit, farmhouse, piece of infrastructure, do something on the farm. They might think or assume wrongly that I'm doing this, I'm being sustainable, it's going to be help me with my carbon emissions and blah, blah, blah. give give people a a way of thinking because you pointed out to me it was it was it was eye-opening for me about how people assume this, that's brilliant, it's recycled, therefore carbon neutral. And you just went, Well, have you considered this? Mm. Can you remember the conversation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I um one of the things I do is um i help the king's um awards with um applicants yeah and sustainability is one some of the things that i've done and uh, so i get to see a lot of different um uh applicants for mm -hmm. the king's award it's actually a very very good um process uh to go through because it actually makes you stop and think about your own business but um, I visited two uh, two applicants uh, or potential applicants. One of them is a 150 year old casting company, Cast Iron. Yeah. And, um, you know, sand on the floor, based in Wolverhampton, amazing place. They did the Iron Bridge works. And I was walking through to see um, how, you know, we could frame uh, their application to the king's award and um 
A foundry is a hard sell. Mm. It's a really hard sell for sustainability. Until we went out the back and there were these stillages full of second second hand brake discs and brake drums, which are made out of cast iron. And I just looked at it and I just said, what's this? He said, oh, all of our cast iron is it's recycled. I said, okay. Um, how many tons do you do a year? And he told me I fell off my chair. So um, on my um, my computer aided design system, I have something called Sustainability Express. So I pulled up a, an average brake disc and worked out if it was recycled, yeah, how many, how much CO two it would save, water eutrophication, air acidification, and um, basically energy, yeah, and by the time i'd finished the calculations they are saving eight million kilograms of co2 a year purely by recycling brake discs because you don't have you also don't have the cost of the refining you don't have the the water requirement you don't have the energy requirements and to recycle a material is infinitely more efficient than creating it from prime now the problem we have in all of this is we we um we tend to go for new new minerals yeah Mm. which are vastly expensive to the environment yeah in terms of water eutrophication air acidification if you recycle the material it's much much more efficient let me give you an example i primarily use aluminium in most of my products throughout throughout the, the, the factories yeah in all of my designs now aluminium is expensive to make unless you get uh, aluminium that is made by hydroelectric power and all of a sudden it starts becoming a little bit more environmentally friendly but about 80 percent of all aluminium that's ever been extracted by man is still in existence wow and then to convert Aluminium, yeah, recycled uh, existing aluminium to new aluminium only requires 5% of the original energy cost. Wow. Yeah. Now, the story I was telling Dave was I saw one company that did a lot of things in wood and, oh, this is sustainable because it's wood. And I said, well, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure that it is. Yeah. So if you took a wooden beam and an aluminium beam, um for example um the wood over its it extended life has a potentially a similar co2 um footprint to the aluminium yeah um so i was trying to explain this and said right okay where does the wood come from where's canada I said, do you know how they get a lot of this wood out? And like, no. I said, there is a trend to pull it out by helicopter because what they do is they they don't just flatten a complete area; they pick certain trees. I said, and then to get the wood see- seasoned, what what do you think they do with it? Mm. And I said, oh, I don't know. I said, they put it in a big oven to dry mm. it. Heat, heat and chemicals, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I said, and then it's got to be sawn and then it's got to be transported and then what happens at the end of life of this wood um 
you recycle it or yeah i said well you can either do you can return it to the earth at which point wood is a carbon trap it traps mm -hmm. carbon okay i said so return to the earth degrade releases the carbon or you burn it releases the carbon <laughs> yeah i said aluminium once it's been made once it requires less and less and less and less and less yeah so if since the first uh, um napoleon the third had a dining set yeah made of aluminium when the rest of his guests ate off solid gold yeah that goes to show that the value of aluminium back then how far it goes back yeah but aluminium was valued at a higher level than gold. Wow. So if we had to sort of summarise then your thoughts on, again, particularly uh, bringing it to the agricultural sector, this balance between innovation and sustainability, what would be the things that you think the industry really needs to look at? Two or three things that as a whole, not necessarily just the individual farmer, but collectively, what do we need to do, do you think, to get the, the balance right between innovation and sustainability? It, it's it's actually very difficult. And the only way you're going to do it is by talking to the people that do it and know how to do it. Yeah. Farmers have been shaping our environment for three uh, for 2,000 years. Mm. Yeah. They're not about to go breaking it up. Here's another one for you. We want to get rid of cattle. Yes, yeah. 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 I don't know if you know, but uh, Virgin Atlantic have just throw, uh, flown a plane over to America with a sustainable fuel. Yep. Hate to tell you, but a lot of that sustainable fuel is made up from farm waste and abattoir waste. Mm -hmm. So where's where are you going to get the critical mass from? Yeah, if you don't have the farming. Yeah. And we stop. We don't stop and think about the um we don't stop and think about um the byproducts everybody thinks that coal and um petrol is just used for burning it, it it's not yeah so you look at the byproducts that come from um you know abattoirs and and cattle you have the leather you have the animal fats and we use animal fats still in manufacturing processes because they are incredibly efficient yeah. um we use vegetable oils in manufacturing. It's not all synthetic. Um, you you get bone meal, you get sinew and such like that, you know, will be used for um, a whole range of things. And, and we, 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 we neglect all of the byproducts. Give you an example. One of the things that we use to filter water and air and a number of other things is something called activated carbon yeah so a spoonful of activated carbon will have the same surface area as Wembley football pitch that's how it that's how it filters I use activated carbon for taking out nasty things in bilge water with my pumps yeah activated carbon can be derived from charcoal but the best stuff comes from coal yeah so if we get rid of the coal industry, what currently happens to the production of activated carbon? One, it disappears. Two, it goes up in price so much 
that nobody can afford it. Now, you would say, well, technology will catch up. Well, it it, it, it hasn't, and I can't find an alternative at the moment. Um, and trust me, I look. Um, but the other thing is, is that what else is activated carbon used in? It's used in kidney dialysis machines. So I think so, the overriding message. So you I don't get something for nothing. You don't no, get exactly. something for nothing. The overriding message that I've taken away um, from our farming community is that don't panic. <laughs> the sustainability piece where we may be coming under attack in a very narrow area. Once people like yourself and others who ask those questions are, yeah, but how? If, if you take that away, what are you going to replace it with? How will that work? I find that really encouraging as a as a discussion that makes me think that it's not going to be so narrow that the either the political, the social, the economic argument is the only one that comes out. If we start to look more broadly, actually, there will be solutions that will probably take longer. Technology mm. might eventually help us, but it's not a simple solution of take cows out take this out take that out and suddenly it all it all goes away it doesn't does it do you agree dave that's sort of the i, I think that and the final thing there jewel said which is around if you're going to do any kind of infrastructure or renovation consider the materials you're using actually do some research into where it's come from what what is its impact on the environment and uh and if you're in any doubt, get in touch with Jules Morgan. Yes, this is what I'm hearing here. Uh, Jules, if I was if I was looking at if I was a politician <clears throat> of um, some kind of stature, I would be looking at one reducing the carbon miles on food, making it more yeah domestic. So I would be sitting there basically saying, right, okay, we need to invest in this sector to allow people to become productive to reduce carbon miles, to create food security. Yeah, that's what I would be doing. Here is a grant to build a hothouse. Yeah. Yeah. I would then be, um, I would then be ring fencing the current method of production until solutions and technology has proven itself. So for example, you could drive for electrification. Well, ain't happening anytime soon i've been me and my group which includes some pretty heavy hitters have been trying now for a long time to figure out how we electrify marine and we hybrid is where we've stopped yeah um but the big one is we need to change the um the opinion of society the narrative isn't it yeah you've got to change narrative one you can't have what you want when you want it. That's not, yeah. So don't tell me about being environmentally friendly and being a climate denier or whatever, yeah. If you're eating avocado on toast every morning, mm. yeah. Um, we have to um, invest in the ability for farmers to produce um, food at a sensible cost, sensible cost yeah. at a sensible cost not uh an, yeah and you've got to look at this holistically so i compete with the chinese and the, the rest of the world in manufacturing yeah yep. and i managed to do it because i'm we're agile we're clever and um we we work at it and this should be the same for farming so um you're telling me that we can ship apples from New Zealand 
all halfway round the globe, or virtually nearly all the way round the globe, and still undercut domestic production. Mm, well, I don't, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't believe it. And Jules, the, we're gonna, we're gonna have to interrupt you, mate. Yeah. I'm really sorry, but we, we've we've That's literally okay. run out, we, we've run over time. Yeah, um, we could talk to you for a whole week. Um, fantastic. But if we do another series, I'd, we'd love you to come back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's so think, much, so I, much well, value in what you've said, Jules, in terms of, um, and I think the farmers will relate so much to what you're saying, uh, and will feel uh, not necessarily vindicated, but certainly supported in this idea that it's not a simple solution. Food production and food sustainability is is not a simple let's just remove this remove that or in in or instigate this it's a more complex um situation so thank you very much indeed for your perspective indeed I think the parting word is is that you only value something when you no longer have it yes exactly. and we've seen that in manufacturing well why don't we make our own ppe well maybe you should have thought about that 30 years ago yes exactly. yeah and it's that what it's that comes back to that commercial expediency and it, and it starts with us. So, Brilliant. Jules, thank you. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Really well, I hope, insight. I hope some of the things that I've said make common sense. You know, but thank they've got to be addressed. Indeed. It's always the simple things that, that make the big impact. It always is. More than you think, <laughs> the common sense. So we'll see you all again on another episode of Just for Farmers. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.